Thundergrunt. I almost feel like for this episode, uh, it's it's actually appropriate that we're on the phone, um, and that there may be technical difficulties because oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, of the the moments in the in the show where uh, Winona Ryder is communicating with her son over the phone. So so if we do have any technical difficulties, we'll just have to say that it was sort of preordained based on the subject matter. Oh, but yeah. first, Absolutely. that works. That works. Who are we? I'm John. I'm Steve. I'm Ron. Nolte. <laughs> I said Ronald this time. I was like, oh, you went I'm for Ronald. it. You went for it. Yeah, I went for it. And uh, you're listening to Movie Schmovie. This is um, episode 168. That's right. And uh, mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. a pretty, it's pretty exciting. I'm pretty excited for this episode. Um, Me too. We're going to be talking about the new Netflix series from um, the Duffer Brothers called Stranger Things. Uh-huh. Uh huh. This was something that uh, we kind of like, uh, the last time we got together to record, John kind of threw out there because Ron and I had been kind of raving about the show, and uh, I don't think at that point maybe John had watched it or maybe had only watched one or two episodes. W- where were you at that point, John? I was midway into, I had started the second episode, but I okay. had not seen more than, I had not really seen more than one episode. Okay. So basically it just came up like, hey, even though we can't do this together because we, we hadn't all seen the entire series... We decided to do this this kind of call-in episode just to kind of give some love and some discussion to uh, to this new series that was completely. Uh, it's kind of one. Of, it's kind of like what happened with like Ten Cloverfield Lane a little bit. Like I feel like a, a trailer came out, you know, maybe a few months back at the most two two and a half months back, and uh, you know started seeing it pop up on Facebook, all over the media sites that I follow, and just the three of us were talking about it. For this for this new series, like Winona Ryder's in it, and really, I mean, the only other name that most people recognize is maybe Matthew Modine, um, a cast of completely, pretty much unknown kids, and just a vibe that just seemed to uh, mix the best parts of what somebody would probably, like what most people are comparing, like a Steven Spielberg directed a Stephen King novel. Um, Which is almost like, why did that not happen? Yeah, but at least yeah. we got to kind of dip into this alternate universe where where that did happen, and you know, right from the font uh, choice on down, every detail was very, very clearly engineered to to sort of uh, trigger that nostalgia response for for both those creators and their their type of content. And I've heard people mentioning Poltergeist and Stand By Me mm. and Firestarter and various different permutations of that kind of aesthetic. But yeah, it was definitely something that hit that button when you when you saw the trailer. And it was like we had that conversation and then I quickly saw that various people in my online, you know, social media life were having the same conversation and making the same references. So it did it did hit a nerve as far as something that that people have a lot of affection for that that content and that era of storytelling. Yeah, definitely. I I think what's even more interesting is ugh, like speaking positively about Netflix. I think that this is the first release that they've had. I mean, I've watched uh, a, a ton of their shows, like episodes. This is the first time I feel like the the line between the cinematic world and the TV world have kind of been kind of blurred. 
particularly since uh, even like House of Cards and um, feel very episodic and purposefully TV show like this is the first thing that they've released that's added some some element that doesn't feel like that. It feels like I'm watching a movie every single time I'm watching an episode. And what that does is it makes the casual watcher with the the movie nerd and everybody kind of come together and 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 watch something that feels a little more niche than anything that Netflix has ever put out besides, you know, a, a sequel, like another se- a continuation of a season uh, of a show that got canceled before. Right, this right. this is something a lot more legitimate to me and it's a huge it feels like a huge deal to me for 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 those reasons and I think that this makes me feel like whatever Netflix is trying to do feels a lot more legitimate now cuz everything felt so like oh this is just another TV show that is I, I, not to not to shit on it, and I'm gonna say it not on HBO level, and and by that I just mean like production wise, <clears throat> uh, originality of story, quality of acting. There's something about this thing that's like lightning in a bottle, and and it feels like really special, and it's given to me and a lot of other people some legitimacy to the original programming that Netflix is putting out. So yeah, it's interesting, like. Uh you know, in terms of legitimacy, like I feel like House of Cards and Orange is New Black. I mean, it's done a lot for Netflix. I think what's interesting about I don't know. I was like, I was reading up on this a lot today, trying to like get my head around how I wanted to present this. And basically, the idea is Netflix really seems to be going all in on tapping into nostalgia, and yeah. and but but what's unique about Stranger Things is that. They have managed to very successfully do it with this new original content that relies more on inspiration of the material, you know, that people will reference, like the titles that we've already thrown out and not so much on like adapting or continuing or rebooting or remaking like Netflix is done with shows like Arrested Development, like Wet Hot American Summer, like fuller house like they have the gilmore girls they just announced this week you know they re- released the date for that like where those are tapping into this um you know like millennial generation xy nostalgia for these properties that they know and are familiar with stranger things is like doing the same thing but it's doing it by taking those ideas those things that have inspired these filmmakers and and really placing it inside of something truly original like you know what i mean like it's not something that was pre-existing like it it knows that we will make the comparisons but it's set it all into this world that is not a reboot or not a remake like it's a really interesting idea and i think it's 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 very successful at um like hooking us like you know when we talked about the trailer you know the trailer's cool and the story looks cool and the idea without really knowing much about it just seems really cool but nobody walks away from watching that first trailer, you know, especially the target audience of these 18 to 35, 18 to 49, whatever you want to do with it, without saying like, holy crap, that's like, it feels like the Goonies, or it feels like E.T., or it feels like a Stephen yeah. King world, you know, and that's like completely intentional, but there's nothing wrong with that when that's just inspiration, and the property itself, or like the content itself is really, you know... um, you know, truly original 
idea. It's an original story. Like, there's nothing... I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is I, I think it's really exciting to see Netflix produce something original that is... Because, kind of, they, you know, they seem to have kind of gone all in on this, like, nostalgia thing, you know, because a lot of these big properties that they have are just that. And it's just really kind of interesting to me that, like, they kind of took that and pivoted a little bit and just said, okay, like, we're, we're still hitting that group of people. We're still going for that audience, whether it's a pre-existing subscriber or somebody that they're hoping maybe subscribes to be able to watch this thing that reminds them of, like, every movie that they loved in the 80s. Or, yeah. you know, of that, of, like, we talk about the Amblin error type of movie or, or whatever it is. It's just really... Hey, we should do a whole episode where we talk about Amblin movies. We should. <laughs> It's a good idea. Take take note of that, John. <laughs> um, do, you, do you know what I'm saying, though? Like, it, it just... It yeah, just no, feels, I, I totally know what you're saying. It, it just feels like there's a very marked difference in this series from a lot of the other ones that... Not so much House of Cards or, like, Orange is the New Black, but, like, the other ones that I mentioned previously that are ones that are either properties that they acquired and relaunched or, you know... And they have other ones that they're that they're doing in the, in the near future. I think, like, Mystery Science Theater they're doing. And, you know, just to kind of... That that's a that's that that's that adaptation thing, and, and there's an article, really cool article I, I read. I think it was on Film School Rejects, just kind of breaking this all down about like the difference between inspiration and adaptation, and like how this movie or this series yeah. kind of hits that sweet spot of you know it being okay to wear your inspirations on your sleeve as a filmmaker or a content provider, whatever it is. As long as that's not all you're relying on, and that's like exactly what this thing does, is like it like it, it it allows us to reference it and to feel it, and you experience this series differently. I think because of that, or at least I did. Part of that is just the idea of as simple as it sounds, just setting a movie in the time that they want to capture and committing to that. Because you know how like you know how we saw X Men, the latest X Men. It was set in the time period, and it didn't feel like it was quite committing to it as much as it oh, should. No, have. It really was not. So I think the key to it is, it it, I, it seems like they just approached making a movie in the eighties, committing to the time, and just making a good story within that. And right. it, and as simple as that sounds, it's a hard fucking thing to do because the, it's easy to cut corners. It's really easy to cut corners when you're making things like that. You can you can make a couple of hairstyles. You can have some wide leg jeans and just call it a day. But this is so much more than that. That it's it's exciting. That's that's what it is. It's the commitment. You. It's like when you watch Goonies is good because it's authentic and in the time that it is it's set in. On top of everybody just being great. So if you take that sort of approach to like, it's almost like they're in the '80s making the movie. If you commit to that level of uh, just diving into the story and it just so happens to take place during this time, it can be fucking incredible. But there's like this like thing that people are trying to do now where they're trying to capitalize on nostalgia. And it almost feels like rather than homage, it feels like parody because they're not committing to it as much as they should. It feels like they're, they're fucking with you a little bit. <laughs> right, that's a, that's a great way to put it. That it does feel like they're making fun, right? Or if they just hit these kind of surface references, yeah. because I mean everything from the wallpaper in um, the kind of affluent kid Steve, um, uh, oh, his yeah. bedroom, his, like I was, I've been in the house of like a of 
reasonably affluent person in the late 80s -hmm. who had like their son's room made up with that kind of pattern and I was like (laughs) I don't know if that's just a coincidence but it seemed so true to me and there wasn't there were a few characters that were kind of cartoonish but they were more like movie cartoonish tropes I mean we can talk a little bit about some of the things that weren't perfect about it maybe later on Um, but I did want to kind of address this idea of the nostalgia and you said it hit the sweet spot Steve and I guess I kind of wondered throughout, was it hitting the sweet spot for me between being nostalgic for something and being original? Um, because as I was thinking about the things it made me think of, everything that we've mentioned and, and then other things we haven't mentioned yet, like Twin Peaks. And Twin Peaks was, people remember what they want to remember about Twin Peaks. And then you watch the show and you see that there was a lot of very like teen, soapy kind of this boy wants to date this girl and there's somebody be, you know, there's a third wheel and right. there's all this tension and that stuff was very soapy and very cheesy. And it was, it was, it was uh, laughably cheesy at times because these actors didn't look like high schoolers and they were sitting there like acting like it was like set in the eighties or the nineties and they were acting like they were in the fifties and they were in their thirties, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it felt like there was a mad genius behind it in the form of David Lynch. You know, you look at that and you go either you're in, for David Lynch's aesthetic or you're not. And there are elements in um, Stranger Things that I thought were better technically, like the teen actors look like teenagers. The high school setting was more authentic in a way. I guess the way I would break it down would be that it didn't feel like it had that kind of mad genius behind it. It felt like it had a lot of fans of the genre behind Uh. it. And I wondered if I was thinking, am I missing some, like, divine driven inspiration in this work is this wholly derivative i said i started thinking like what makes this new and i came up with a few ideas for myself about what makes it new they do modernize it but they do that thing that ronald i thought you made a brilliant point it's that diving into the era one of the reasons why i love uh ty west's house of the devil is because it does it dives in it's made in the style of a late 70s 70s, early 80s horror film and it's Uh, set uh, in that era yeah um that kind of thing really works when it's done immersively and i think that like everything from the costuming to the soundtrack to the way it's shot to the kind of camera moves can make it feel really nostalgic this was really made with the modern sensibility of uh, a prestige cable format show and that's why i think mentioning game of thrones in the same context even though game of thrones is an adaptation and this is not i think it's useful to say that that kind of genre thing you can see that if you pour those production values into something niche it can connect with that general audience that would watch House of Cards or Orange is the New Black just because it's the new season of something good that's coming on, right, you know? Right. Sure. Um, so I do think there's nostalgia and there's just kind of prestige television. And I really wondered, like, was I really responding to those surface elements and being kind of hypnotized by them? Or was there a there there? And by the end of the eight episodes, I, I think there is a there there. I think there is something going on with this creation that I want to see I want to I want to mull it over and let it stew for a while um, and and come back to it the way you would a, a good movie because it really is just like kind of an overlong movie you yeah, know sure sure um, but uh, I don't know what do you guys think of that did you at any point find yourself wondering like is this something is there really anything new about this it does it go beyond the nostalgia here's your favorite word Ronald uh, is is this show just pandering to the throwback <laughs> kind of craze that we're having right now Steve what do you think. I mean, I, I think it's pretty clear, like, from what I was saying before, I, I don't feel like it's pandering. Um, I don't know, like, because I, cause I feel like even though that there are, even though there are the things that, like, you know, the the little cues that I pick up or that I respond to that are, like, probably the bits of nostalgia uh, I pick up along the way, you know, I, I do genuinely feel that, like, I was invested in this 
this show's story. Like, you know, I, I don't know that I was just um, I was just tuned into those bits of nostalgia. I was I was once I was like, you know, 30 minutes into the first episode, um, really wanting to know more about this group of friends, wanting to know more about why the father wasn't around, wanting to know more about what happened to the sheriff's daughter. You know, like, I feel like it hooked me enough, like, with its story that that nostalgia is really a part of the hook, but it's not the hook. You know, it, it's what mm-hmm. got, it's what gets me in and um, kind of, like, satisfies me on a different level than what the actual, or at least I guess what I feel the actual, like, core of this content is, which is just, like, really good casting, really good acting, and a really interesting story to me. And I I think it's just like, when I say, I guess when I say sweet spot, I know, I, I definitely uh, understand what your point is, John. I think you, you have a good point. I just think like when I say sweet spot, it's the combination of those two things. Like where I don't feel like it's literally just saying the same thing over and over again, or that that's already been done. I mean, yeah, you could say that like things from this show are inspired by stories that have already been done but i mean like it's all about how it's packaged it's all about how it's presented and i kind of didn't there was never a moment in the in watching this series which um i'm basically i'm now like one and a half times through watching it uh (laughs) i i i just am so in on like just excited about like being excited about something like and you know, I, 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 I'm not refusing to acknowledge that a big part of it is like me feeling like, fuck, like this is like the kind of shit that I used to always love watching as a kid. And, and, and you know, this is like a detail that we always kind of hit on, like about kids and stuff like that. But thank God that like kids actually look like kids in this show. Yeah, because yeah. absolutely like so much that comes out now, whether it's TV or movies like, you know, and, and you were even like we talked about this recently, like. Kids just don't look like they're not models anymore. You know, like even like kids that I've liked in recent movies, they're like gorgeous children, you know? And like, I love the idea of having kids cast in this movie that just look like kids. Like they look like me. They look like you, like we did when we were kids, you know, or what I imagine we look like when we were kids. I don't know. I I just think that like, you know, that, that authenticity and like that, like lack of, it's weird because it has like that awesome production value and I agree with everything you guys said. Like it does feel like a step up for Netflix in terms of, you know, like the scope and the production of a, of their series, especially when that's only eight episodes. But I don't know, like at the end of the day, I don't, I don't feel like it does not have something to say. I feel like it absolutely has a story. And I think that these brothers have, uh, that they, that they definitely have, um, something, else in store um for what the you know the upside down is and what what the testing you know like i feel like there's just so much more to it and it's just like tapping into that and i hope you know i don't know i i i hope it gets uh you know picked up for another season or two well i like that they're suggesting that they are mulling it over in a sense of letting it breathe i think is what the netflix chief said about it that he wants to let it breathe a little which i think is just saying let's enjoy this moment where it's the new big conversation that we're having Uh um but i i think a second season has to address certain questions that they just have to address like these child actors are going to age up um I, I, you wouldn't want to see them just prolong the same themes that they introduced in this. I agree with you, Steve. There's a suggestion of a larger—I hate to use the word larger mythology because um, I hate—it's like 
it's it's something new, and we're saying it's something original and new, and then we're going to turn around and turn it into a franchise within five seconds. You know, <laughs> um, it's a shame. But yeah. I like the idea of it sits there, and it's like a Stephen King book or a Steven Spielberg movie. It comes out and it sits there for a while and, and gets to grow, and then you say they're doing more of it. Now I bet they'll probably announce a second season pretty soon, and I think for our tastes, we'd like something roughly next year, just like we get with all these Netflix shows. As far as the nostalgia conversation. I'm, I wanted to kind of mention that up front so that we don't get bogged down in having to address that throughout. I want to talk about, like, maybe we can say, let's, we're done with the word nostalgia. <laughs> let's talk about what this show is and what it does, because it does have a modern sensibility in a lot of ways, and it is made with a lot of modern ideas. I think we're kind of assuming anyone who's listening to this has watched every episode or something, because we haven't done any job at all to explain what the show is to people who, who don't know what it is. Let's assume people know and just talk about the things that we loved, the things that really worked for us. What was new? What did you love? Uh, I love that I love rules. You know how I feel about rules of things that are dangerous and scary. And I like that um, as the story was kind of unpacking itself, there were no set rules, right? There were none. And and the more you found out, the more it's obviously something supernatural possibly or something. That's all I really knew. And anything that happened within that, seemed reasonable almost it's, it's a little weird that like it, it I kind of accepted it and I think that has something to do with the way that the supernatural things happen the order that it happened and it was subtle very subtle at first and kind of built its way up to some of the craziness that we wound up seeing and I'll say the third act <laughs> which is like the the last three or four episodes uh three episodes I'll say three episodes kind of the the story and the rules unpacking themselves didn't feel rushed and when it did happen it felt like natural to the story and that doesn't always feel like a common it doesn't feel like a common thing when I'm seeing stories like this so that's that's the biggest thing I took from it while I was watching the that's what kept me interested the story unpacking itself in a way that felt neat enough that it fit within the world but also very unpredictable. So that's the first thing I'll say about it. So, yeah. What would you guys think? I mean, well, we kind of, we talked about this earlier, like just the, uh, the scoring and music in the show. Um, I thought was really like kind of a big part of what hooks you, you know, whether, you know, you're talking about, um, pop songs from, from the time or just like the actual scoring of the music of the movie. You talk about like submerging yourself in an era or in a time period or whatever it is like I think that the how that was handled and I mean it almost becomes a character in the series to me just because like you kind of inform so much about what was going on or what was to come in the scene that we were in or in what was you know coming up shortly thereafter and um I don't know. I just, uh, it's definitely something like we were, I think John said earlier when we were chatting, like, I want the soundtrack to this series, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, in that sense, it reminds me of It Follows. It reminds me of Drive. There's this kind of like, there's this kind of, at at this point, I almost think people should say, let's chill out. Let's not go to this too much. (laughs) I I, I remember when, because this is such a good instance of it, that I kind of don't want it to start to feel like, well, now this is going to be, you're going to look back in five years and go, remember when all those movies came out that sounded like John Carpenter had written the score? Right. Um, I remember when Paranorman came out, there was like a little passage of the score in Paranorman that was like a wink and a nod, a reference to a John Carpenter-ish score. 
it wasn't a, it wasn't throughout. It was just it went to a, a kind of a two or three note synth part in the middle. And I think we commented on it. I remember us talking about yeah. it, saying, "Oh, that was a cool little bit." And I feel like since then, every um, every <clears throat> indie genre film has realized that John John Carpenter made every kind of genre film <laughs> in his career. You know, <laughs> outside of the score, though. I think that one of the elements that really worked for me, you, you mentioned the casting, Steve. Yeah. I want to say I should have, rec- I'm sure he's been in a million things and I just haven't noticed because he's that kind of character actor. But I think David Harbour as Chief, yes. uh, Chief Hopper, it was a discovery. I wrote down in my notes, uh, I'm in love with Husky Harrison Ford. And, and, uh, <laughs> no, I, I like that character. I thought they did a great job of establishing him. He felt like he was torn from the pages of a Stephen King book to me. I don't know if you've read much Stephen King, either of you guys, but it's exactly the kind of character that he would feature. Absolutely. A guy who's got his who's got his flaws kind of stamped all over him, um, but who you see throughout the story. He continually is is heroic, and and so heroic to the point where when he finally does make a decision that feels like a devil's bargain in the last episode, um, I was worried, like, oh, no, is this going to be, you know, is he going to really screw everything up by trying to make this deal? And I I guess I never quite understood what his real plan was, but the show ends on such an ambiguous note with regards to the fate of Eleven um, that I think there's room for his character to kind of redeem himself for kind of selling them out and telling the telling the bad guys where they were right right but either way i thought that was a great character and i liked the way it unfolded th- throughout the show just like the way he was just constantly cold cocking people and stuff i mean it was uh, <laughs> it, it very much reminded me of that type of harrison ford hero who's gonna try to bargain with somebody but then is gonna kind of smile and then knock him out um and and i was kind of glad he didn't die a grisly death you know <clears throat> uh char- it, this this made me feel like character actors need more of a chance to prove themselves it just felt like man this is this guy why wasn't he ever leading a, a show or at least you know one of the main characters he had so much depth and like pain in his eyes and i was curious about his story and as like i said as the story kind of unfolded and you see why he is the way that he is and why he left a bigger place to come to a smaller town it all kind of fed into who he was. And it was kind of nuts that he was so competent. I was really expecting him to be like a, I don't know, to drop the ball once or twice. But he was so, such a good person in a lot of ways. Yeah, like, and a good cop. And a good cop. And he just kind of played it by ear. And once it happened, it, he kind of adjusted from there. And that, that was something really cool about seeing him be like a, a, f- a father figure to everybody. It, it was really interesting. I, I just had never thought about anything like that until I saw a character like him kind of being a, strong for everybody. You know, he was very yeah. seldom did he show his fear, but you can tell in his eyes that he was petrified of the things he was doing. But he felt like he had to because he was such a good person and a good cop. He wanted to protect everybody in the town. That was that was incredible. And he and I don't think that I think that a a lesser actor would have just kind of, you know, pouted the whole time, or smirked, or smirked, part. or smirked, you know, yeah. And is in either and, way, you could have tilted it too far. He felt like a guy who could he could pout and smirk. That's that's yeah. really good, you know. And the beats that he did, the the funny beats, didn't come from a goofiness. It came from his 
overreacting or underreacting to something, which felt more real to me than somebody just a, a, a shitty version of this. I keep, it, but it's important to know that like it's it's not a perfect thing, but it's the chemistry between the characters and the beats that this thing has. Whether it's the scary beats, the funny beats, how it weaves in and out of that that makes it so special. I guess that's what what it really boils down to, and he's one of the main parts of that. It, that and the the parents in this. Uh, when oh, I thought the parents were great. The parent, every parent had a very different outlook on the whole thing, but they all felt like people we know, <laughs> particularly Mike's dad. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, because it's like I, that. I I wrote down that is every friend's dad Absolutely. from my childhood. Absolutely, this kind of like nice but sort of serious and kind of detached and kind of like nonplussed, and he seemed kind of tired. <laughs> it probably was, you know, and and but like not a bad guy, but really just a guy who's kind of going like, well, we don't need to do that. Well, I don't know about that. Hold on a second, Sully. My dog, the dog's actually growling and chasing his tail right right next to my desk. Oh, wow. um, I, I thought of Bloodline while I was watching it sometimes because Bloodline is a show that I enjoy and I watch it straight through on Netflix. But I am aware that if it were a weekly show, I would be a little frustrated by it if I was actually waiting a week mm. and then getting that episode. Yeah. And I think this had a little bit of that element. And I don't mean that to be a knock on the content. I'm saying I think that both bloodline and stranger things they strangely benefit from this netflix format somehow they're between television and movies i I don't know which one of you said that earlier you may have said it steve or maybe you said it ronald but like uh who else could it have been (laughs) um it was biff uh, (laughs) there are voices in my head right now no i i did think that this is a format like i have to relax and not treat it like a television show and not say well it's kind of long for a movie and it's kind of slow moving for a tv show it's like you know what um it's it's Netflix. It's that model where you get to watch it all at once if you want to, but it is broken into nice little chunks for you if you choose. So it really is like a novelistic approach because it's like chapters more so than episodes in a way. Um, did you guys feel that at all? Like, do you ever find yourself watching one of these Netflix shows and thinking this isn't this is a different format, and you're kind of glad you're not waiting a week for the next episode? Yeah. <sighs> yes, absolutely. I I'm I'm in the minority of. I'm 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 I am not wild. I haven't been wild by a ton of the shows on Netflix yet, and this is kind of towards the beginning. I mean, I I, I liked House of Cards. I didn't finish it, but I really enjoyed it. Um, and there's some other shows that I really enjoyed, but this is the first one besides House of Cards that I was really committed to. Like, yeah, yeah. But there <laughs> there was a there's a thing about the way that they're formatted. This, I mean, this is going to sound shitty. Like, I'm just... Some of those shows don't feel strong enough to sit on the whole week format to me. And and I don't know what that has to do with. I, I just think that, they, that they're, not as, they're not as strong. And, and I, I, compare, I compare them to the HBO thing. Not because it's, it's like I have a, an extreme bias. Sometimes it just has to do with, like, <sighs> quality of writing sometimes mm-hmm. and it's 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 something so it feels like a <clears throat> it feels like a first version of something it feels like we're experiencing a tent pole we're experiencing this like thing that's happening kind of in front of our eyes like if 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 it just dropped in it like this show came out in london and and it came out two years ago and i just watched it i'd feel the same way about it you know what I mean? Like it's not like 
it's not like I'm coming into this with with such an extreme bias that I can't appreciate them. It's just literally has to do with quality of shows that just isn't hasn't translated quite as well with every single show that they put out. And some of it just has to do with the fact that it's in front of you and available and there's a ton of them. So let's watch it. Well, I've always felt like House of Cards has, I mean, it had such strong production values, but it always felt to me like it was three quarters of its way to being did. a great show. It did. It did. And I always felt the same way about Orange is the New Black. I think Orange is the New Black does some really interesting things that no other show does. And as it has finished its most recent season, I think there is a, a thing that show can do that is specific to it. And even though it's rough around the edges and I don't always... I don't always get down with the tone of it. I think that it, it can get at certain things and have certain kind of character development at this point that I just don't see a lot of other people trying. Um, so I give it credit. But Bloodline was the first Netflix show that, to me, made me say, okay, this show exists, and it feels like a Netflix show, and it feels like its own thing, and it doesn't feel like it's a second-rate version of what I would get on another network. It felt like its own thing. Right. And I think Stranger Things has that element to it as well. It feels like a, a, a type of content that would only get made for this model where they're dumping a lot on you and you can kind of watch it at your own pace. But it's not something that has to bear up to the... Would, would an episode of Stranger Things generate so much ratings and so much suspense that people would, would watch the next week? I, I mean, I don't know. We have these ratings juggernauts like Game of Thrones and Walking Dead. And, um, you know, there are genre shows, uh, to overuse that word as well, um, that that do this so it wouldn't be a surprise but i i think i think stranger things benefits from being on netflix what did you guys think of winona ryder in this in in the grand scheme of this series i feel like if i was the point to maybe the weakest link (laughs) of 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 the series like i would probably say i feel like it might have been her um and, and even at that comment like i don't think that she is bad in the series or 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 whatever the only thing i don't know like it, it feels like her character and i guess maybe the way she plays it is um kind of and, until the like the last two episodes and, and and with the exception of maybe two scenes prior to that is kind of like a one note character and i think she kind of plays it pretty big um i don't know that that really bothered me a ton but i mean like when we're talking about you know how great David Harbor was, and and the kids uh, in the series, and the other actors playing the parents, for being probably the biggest name in the series. And you know, I don't know. I, I feel like I enjoyed her in the series. I thought she was fine. I just felt like that character. Maybe I I, I kind of wish I would have seen a little more of um, like her relationship with Jonathan a little more, and or just her. You know, more about her. Um, as a mother or what happened in, in her relationship to kind of make her kind of that way. Um, it was interesting to see her kind of play like the most non-Winona Ryder character she's ever played, which was a good thing. Um, I don't know, like maybe with the exception of Girl Interrupted, I don't know that she's ever like kind of played this kind of role before. Um, just, you know, which is a good thing. This was turned up to 11, more or less the whole time. And and I... I kind of split the difference in my head between thinking she's playing a person who's turned up to 11 all the time. And that's why they got this actress to do this. But I don't remember that she she was never maybe the most subtle actress. Yeah. I liked a lot of the material she was given and I liked the way she played some of that, but it did seem a bit yeah. it did seem a bit much, yeah. especially in a show where you did have so many nuanced and subtle performances yeah. coming from from other performers. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, I would say some of her best scenes are opposite 
um, chief, maybe it's because he provides such a different energy to her that she kind of bounces off of it. But uh, yeah, I, again, I kind of what you said. I don't know that I would say she's bad. I just think she somehow decided. I mean, I think it's a combination of that's how Winona Ryder is, and and she was playing something kind of extreme, and so she really went all in. And you want to admire an actor for doing that, but at some moments, it seemed like she was more all in than even was was reasonable. I wondered if the the directors wanted her to be like that. If they wanted her to like punch it up like that. I I, I was thinking about that too as I was watching her. Because her behavior is so much different than everybody else, and I, but but I guess she has the most at stake, right? Like she, her son is missing, and I know a lot of moms that would have probably acted a little crazier than her, to be honest. Because oh, sure. you know when you when when your world gets kind of turned upside down, and you, you just don't know how you're gonna act. And I guess the part that really really kind of bothered me was like when she figured out how to communicate with the upside down world that it just seemed to happen too fast she seemed like there was a real there was a real distinction between how broken up and irrational she was but how sharp she got whenever some sort of communication from the other side happened which was weird to me and it seems like there would have been more of a like a development of that like her getting gradually picking up on the stuff rather than her just being like, oh, let's just set up some lights and figure out. I was just like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't... That didn't really bother me. It's one of those, this person seems crazy and the situation that they're in is so awful Mm. (laughs) and you're watching them look crazier and crazier. And I think maybe that beat... I did like that. I mean, I thought they did a good job of making me want someone else to see what she was talking about. Like, I really wanted someone else to be there when one of the manifestations happened so that she wouldn't seem crazy. Because that was starting to... Her manic behavior was starting to kind of drive me crazy. You know? And I was like, please, someone see this with her. I think we said this about The Conjuring, too, that we liked how quickly other people from outside the family see that something supernatural is happening in the house, yeah. you know, and, and that it doesn't spend half the movie or more going, you got to believe me. <laughs> I, and so I feel like we've kind of seen that before. So maybe that's something about the character that became kind of annoying because what I would found myself doing watching that was just thinking like, I guess I had forgotten how Winona Ryder's always been kind of whiny and the character came off as sort of whiny, mm. you know, somehow within all of that other stuff that she was playing rather well is maybe a bit of a whiny, personality that is a, a little bit grating but it, I, to me it played into that tension of oh this poor woman who just wants someone to believe her but she's also doesn't it, okay you don't believe me i'm still going to try to do this thing so she was off in her own little world and i i did like the process i like the way they showed her hanging the lights and then putting the letters under the lights i like how that developed and i you know that was a that felt very spielbergian because there was a certain amount of wonder in that and this person Absolutely. is in this awful place her son is missing but she's having this quasi religious experience with this manifestation that she just has to realize well i'm not imagining this this is something real that feels like richard dreyfus in close encounters or something like that um, which, which again, not to say what I like about it is its throwback nature. I'm just saying it's that kind of. Here's a regular person who's reckoning with the the unreckonable, you know, and and you got to see kind of every minute of that, and that yeah. was a little annoying, but it was also kind of cool to see it play out. Right, right. Yeah, I was gonna just say that um, just before we go on to another topic with this, but like I, I just want to circle back again and just give uh, some attention. I, I think that the MVPs plural i guess would would be like all the kids in the show are absolutely incredible i they think are. that uh 
like the, um, you know, Mike, Dustin, Lucas, and Eleven, and even Will, but Will is not in the movie a whole lot. <clears throat> but um, just like, I don't know, just like such good kids and actors and like, you completely buy their friendship and you buy the hierarchy to their friendship. I love the scene where Dustin and Mike are like acknowledging that like Dustin knows that Mike, like that Lucas is Mike's best friend. Like even though they're all like best friends, you can only have one best friend. And like that, that like that conversation is a real thing. And I I like seeing kids who look real, act real, talk about things that kids would talk about, you know? And like, in this in this whole scheme of like this alien or this other world this this you know the the uh all these all this excitement and everything going on like it really just comes down to them having a conversation on their bikes about like dude i know he's like your best friend i'm cool with it he was here like a year before me i'm fine <laughs> you know like you, you just need scene. to know like you, you need to know like why he's upset like he's just he's just like jealous you know like don't don't forget that. Like you know, you care. You know, I I just love so much that like I bought every single thing those kids said, and um, and especially like my MVP of the whole series, I would have to say is Dustin, um, Galen Matarazzo, I think is his name or, or something. Gaten Matarazzo, um, from the first episode when they're having their D and D tournament and like just his reactions and when he tries to take the pizza upstairs to Nancy all the way to the end with him like finding the pudding in the in the refrigerator at the gym <laughs> like i just think that that kid was like incredible and that character is just such a great balance of everything that you as a viewer of the series like kind of goes through and experiences like he's smart he's funny he's honest you know he's kind of on the edge of like wearing like i guess for what that time like maybe some uh ironic t-shirts if you notice some of them and like yeah I, I just love that and 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 I buy it a hundred percent and uh I don't know, I just love how smart he was. Like, you know, like the, each character kind of has their own like strength and whatnot, but like I love the the whole scene with them talking about the compasses and I love him calling the science teacher at ten o'clock at night and like asking him <laughs> about, you know, how to make a deprivation tank and like why are you keeping this curiosity door locked? Like I I fucking love that whole scene. And uh I think that kid was uh that actor who played Dustin was just incredible and uh it's funny I just I was reading something with the uh I forget which Duffer brother it was but they were talking like when John mentioned earlier like you know whatever happens with seasons two three whatever goes on with this series like you know these kids age and if it follows them which they have acknowledged that like it would follow on with this story in some way if they do get picked up like something interesting I read was that that actor that um is it Gaten or Gatton Matarazzo who plays Dustin that I guess when they went back to do like the ADR work after, you know, uh, production rap, like that he had aged already enough that he couldn't do any of the voice work after the fact. Like they had wow. to keep all of his, you know, original, you know, takes and recordings because like his voice had changed and he had changed. And if you look at some of the, like recent press and promo photos like you know these kids are getting older it's kind of it's kind of cool like the thing like that but it also makes it it does make it interesting like depending on how long they wait to make these series how will that work into um you know into what the story is or where the story's happening or you know what what the what the what the whole thing's about but 
I don't know. I just wanted to t say the kids. I mean, the kids, like the kids, the kids, the kids. Like I love the, all the kids in this movie, and uh, I know we're not supposed to say nostalgia or anything like that. But I'm sorry. <laughs> That's John. the N word. <laughs> oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> I really think it's kids getting around on their bikes. Oh my god, it's so yeah. true. Because these kids are just out on little adventures all the time. I mean, I wonder if the actors had fun having an 80s childhood for a few months. God, yeah. And I don't know that I've seen their faces before. I think I've seen, is it Finn, what's his name? Yeah. Finn Wolfhard? What's yeah. his, is that his name? It's a great name. <laughs> I mean, come on. Holy shit, if that's his, is, that, is it Finn Wolfhard? I think so. That's what it's listed as. I don't know if it's like yeah, his Yeah, Finn real. Wolfhard as Mike. I think I've seen him before, and maybe, I, rightly so, he was probably cast uh, at four with a name like Finn Wolfhard. But um, I, other than that, they were all new faces to me, and and that was really that really added to it. I thought the kid who played Lucas was really interesting. I thought that character was written to be like two or three different types of kids, kind of at once, and it it, it that kind of points to that sophistication that we're talking about because he's kind of the wrong-headed one and kind of the one who's the most jealous and the most we can't let this new person in on our thing when when they start hanging out with Eleven, but he also later is. You know, once he switches into no, I'm on board. He's he goes off on like a secret mission and gets up in a tree with his binoculars and everything. I mean, that shit is so fun and so cool. Um, and I do hope they don't lose that feel if they do a second season and these are now teenagers because I don't think I was as interested in um, in Jonathan and Nancy walking around talking about their philosophies. That stuff kind of dragged for me a little bit. <laughs> I thought the actors were good, yeah. but I think they were playing people at an annoying stage of life, uh, and uh, and I think they played it well. The uh, I was reading an interesting like it was a interview with the Duffer Brothers speaking about Finn Wolfhard. Um, so th this production like it almost seems like every movie these days or TV series like shoots uh, in Atlanta, in Georgia, and you know apparently they went through like thousands of kids in auditions for the the four like the four uh, kid roles and. Um, when they were casting Mike, there was they were basically saying that like when Carrie Fukunaga was on as the director for It, still that the that this kid Finn had auditioned for Stranger Things and It at the same time, and that they were basically going back and forth trying to see who could cast him first. And initially, he had get, he had gotten cast in It, and it didn't look like the scheduling was going to line up for him to be able to do Stranger Things. But then when Carrie Fukunaga dropped out he was able to then do Stranger Things. Well, in a nice circumstantial, you know, moment of, I don't know, whatever you want to call this, when the new director came back on for it, um, who's the guy who did, uh, it's, it's Andres Machete, he, uh, since Stranger Things had already started and they started to recast it, he still got cast for the same role in it. So he's able to do Stranger Things and he's playing Richie in the It remake that comes out next year. Um, which in the, in that, in that it remake, that it remake is taking place in, you know, what was the, you know, dairy of the fifties in the, you know, the, the book in the TV series that we've seen in, I think they've, they've, uh, moved it up to the eighties. So he's going to be playing Richie in the it remake that also takes place in a small town in the eighties with a bunch of kids. So I'm very anxious to see how that turns out also. So not only is his name the coolest name since Scoot McNary, yeah. but um, <laughs> but he's got a niche already. <laughs> this kid is killing it right now. He is, man. He's better at the 80s than I was. <laughs> <laughs>
it's just cool how that like it you know it's a cool story to be like oh yeah we're shooting this movie down there that's you know it's similar you know in tone in some ways i'm sure you know it's is it is much more i guess of a horror scary film especially the way it looks like they're going with this remake um but it's kind of cool this kid was like going for these big properties and was like uh, i can only do one and then it's like oh nope it works out so you know you can now do both of them I want to mention before we before we stop talking about the actors or the the characters, um, I want to mention the character of Steve and say that I thought that was an interesting path to take with a, the character. That in the end, the fact that he wasn't a total shit was actually kind of a cool twist. Right, right, right. But there were earlier scenes where you they did show him being. I mean, you saw he he was like a total overbearing kind of douche. But you did see that he had a sincere relationship, at least in his mind, with Nancy. And I liked the way they played that as something that that turned out to be true, that he really did sincerely care about her. Yeah. He was, a, he was definitely a cool character. Um, I, I didn't like him at all at first, like you said. But then as, as his character developed, he had, he had, he tried. It never way more than I would I could say for myself if I saw some of the things that he saw. <laughs> what did you guys make of Chief's decision at the end? What was he doing? Are we supposed to think that Eleven is manifesting out in the woods or something? Was that was that just a hint or did you feel like you understood what that meant? Yeah, I kind of like I kind of feel like whatever the deal he made was, you know, when they were kind of being held at the laboratory. Um I think like him making that deal whatever it was, I'm sure we will find out more about it, but like how he gets picked up when he leaves the hospital in that like government vehicle and you know I, I think he knows more than we do in terms of what Eleven is and um, what actually happened to her or, or what can and cannot happen to her um, so yeah I, 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 I do think that uh, that he has some sort of deal that he made where he's a little he, he's tuned into like the fact that I think the Eleven is not gone 11 was my second favorite in the entire thing yeah, she I mean, was great just in terms of range just range of acting and the fact that she had kind of like an androgynous sort of look where you know i i thought it was a boy when he first when she first came around uh lent itself to this kind of like she was kind of a blank slate which was really cool i didn't have any expectations for her behavior because right. she had such an interesting look to her. Um, and and I thought it was really cool how the friends reacted to her. I, I thought they called her one too many freaks and weirdos. I think that was a nod to the fact that in the 80s, people said harsher things to each other that like that. Like people called each other like spaz and, <laughs> right. and, and freak <laughs> right. and stuff all the time, you know. Um, I, I do think that's what they were doing there. It was right, a little right. bit like the way the kids, if you look at E.T. now, the kids seem to trash talk each other a lot. And to Henry, it sounds like they're being really bad, you know, um, uh, because at school and yeah. stuff, they yeah. just they squash that at a very early age. They talk a lot about not using hurtful words with people and that kind of thing. And I do think that makes life a little better for everybody. But you see something like this and it is fun to see the kids talk like little little people, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like the fact that they were little people too. I like the fact that it wasn't like Disney or Nickelodeon style acting, which was super important to me. The way that they interacted with each other. It's like a sometimes just being subtle about some of the things that happened made all the difference in the world for them reacting to the, the real dangers that existed. So any, any particular hopes or expectations for a season two uh, before we wrap it up? 
Um, I hope we find out more about the deal that Hopper made. I hope we find out uh, more about Eleven and um, I guess where one through ten are. Oh yeah, and or what one through ten were, and um, you know that that whole like testing that whole you know, failed attempt to spy on the Soviets and like this, this astral plane between this world and the, and the, uh, uh, and the upside down that they call it. Like, I, I, you know, I think, you know, I'm sure these film, you know, these guys have an idea of what that could look like and what that could be. So I'm very interested to find out more about that. One of the coolest things and, and the reason why I feel like this is like, if it was its own thing, it'd be fine if there were questions unanswered and it could be this self, you know, this one season of, of this show and it'd be fine. Or if you view it as a movie and there's no sequel to it is that, um, it leaves enough unanswered, like it, or it answers enough that the ones that are left unanswered are more just like wander. They're not like necessary things to me. And, um, I love the part at the end when the kids are basically like, I can't remember the exact quotes, but like there's a meme going around about it. Like, um, you know, they, they basically start question. The kids are like questioning those outstanding things themselves when they talk about, you know, like a, like a Dungeons and Dragons game, you know, campaign. They're talking about like, well, what about the knight? What about the princess? And like, you know, it's, it's referring to like these, these questions that we have about the characters, like about Jonathan, about Nancy, you know, about, about Will coming back and we see something, you know, special happen to Will at the end. I just like the idea that there was like a moment where they were like being able to, to, to tie those things together because like that, uh, you know, the, 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 what, what these kids like tied to this experience was, you know, these Dungeons and Dragons campaigns that they were spending 10 hours playing that bookended this season of this series. And it, it's, it's just kind of cool like to say like, you know, there is this, this lost knight. There is this, like, you know, confused princess. I, I don't know the exact words that they said, but there was, like, two or three things that they each, like, each kid kind of goes around, like, almost sarcastically or, like, dramatically saying it, you know, as if it was a part of a campaign, and they're just, like, saying it as, as like, they're being excited about this. But in, in terms of our story and, and what we... And when you say, like, what do you expect or what are you looking forward to... Like basically that those bullet points that they like list down right there, like that's a lot of what I'm looking forward to. Um, I thought that was very meta in a sense because they are saying like that can't be it. That was over too 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 quickly, you know. So that was very yeah. much like winking at you saying, Hey, yeah. you know, we've kind of are planting this thought in your head that there's there's more. But but I also thought if if that is the bookend, <laughs> that's a great way to end this tale, is to say, Well, Will was changed by the experience, something he's never gonna be the same again. And and these friends are still going to be the friends they were, right. and they're still like and and the the notion of Mike keeping the the kind of the door open for Eleven to return as much as possible. I thought that all those little notes needed to be there. But if yeah, if we never got any more, I know I'm always fond of saying that about things. If we never got any more than this, um, but if that if this was it, it would be a nice little thing to return to. And my prediction for season two would just be that Netflix spends more money on the effects because the creature looked a hell of a lot scarier in the dark. And uh, Mike's fall at the quarry uh, could have, it was cool, but it could have been, it could have looked better. But outside of those moments, I thought they did a good job of hitting yeah. that, you know, that there was a TV scope to some of the effects, but they did a good job of deploying it well. And, and 
before I saw him in the light of the classroom and he looked a little cheap, I thought the creature was just a cool monster to have and the way it developed your understanding of what it, what it was doing and how we still don't know what the mechanics behind that are or, or what created this thing. I would also like to see more of Matthew Modine's character. I was pretty underwhelmed by his eventual fate and I don't know that it was very clear and that felt to me like a little bit of a, of a missed opportunity at the end to give his character a really solid fate. But but yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing seeing what they do with this now that now that Netflix knows how much people responded to it. It'll be that classic sort of, you know, sophomore effort where everybody comes back a little more energized because people like it. And that's also where a lot of shows fall apart <laughs> is when they'd have to come back. I mean, True Detective most recently. Would you be mad if it were a totally different story next season? I, I would be mad if some of those threads that Steve mentioned didn't get picked up. Like, I, w- I want to know more about Hopper. I want to know more about what, like, what happened to Will. I want to know more about Eleven. But I, I, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be the same type of story, and it doesn't have to be centered on the same town or the same people. I just want those elements to be part of it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm excited. I mean, I can't wait. It, it, that's that's the one thing is like you know you take these things in so quickly it's just like damn now I have to wait a year, but that's how spoiled we are that you know you don't have to wait five years between movie sequels or three years before movie sequels you have like Netflix pumping out these seasons every year or so I'm looking forward to whatever Netflix is going to be coming out with the get down's the next thing right so I'm I'm pretty excited about that so I yeah supposed to be the most expensive TV show they've ever funded. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I'm always so curious about what they spend on these shows because, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm just so – I'm always so interested in, like, budget for, like, movies and yeah. series and things like that. I sent um, you guys an article that says that the get-down supposedly was $10 million an episode. But I, yeah, I saw that. Sounds nuts. That, that, yeah, that I don't know, man. That, it that looks like it. Insane. It looks expensive. It doesn't look $10 million. I mean, but it does look expensive, though. Right. I um I don't know. I just I just I just closing thoughts. I love this series. I, I actually think it's probably one of, if not my favorite, Netflix series. Um the only other ones that probably would I, I love Bloodline more the first season than the second, and I really liked even though it's docu series, I love making a murderer, but um just everything hits for me with this series and uh to the point that like I'm already rewatching it just to pick up on like it's kind of like I was kind of alluding to it last night texting you guys like I kind of wanted to get together and talk about this in person because I'm kind of geeking out over it yeah and I, it, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like it's kind of like reaching a crescendo for me like where I'm like looking at all these screen caps and like trying to like piece together these like reddit threads <laughs> and I'm just like I'm kind of going down this rabbit hole and uh, I'm just like you know I don't do that for TV series really that much so it's kind of like an exciting thing to be so into a, a show. Um, and you know, it, it's nostalgia. Sure. Whatever. But I, um, I, I'm, always, I'm, I'm open to that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not opposed to that. Uh, the, uh, I was going to say one more thing. I, I was looking some, for some notes about this for tonight's episode. And there was a really, really interesting article. I think it was on vice. It was about stranger things, but, the author of the uh, the writer was basically saying that we as humans uh, inhabit three parallel worlds over the course of our lives, and he basically broke it down into like childhood, um, teens, and adults. And he said, in our childhood, 
we try to make sense of our environment, usually taking cues from things like movies and TV shows. And as a teen, we basically make it our job to ape our peers or to, you know, mimic what we see around us. And as an adult, we improvise with whatever's left of both of those things, which is what an adult calls nostalgia. And I thought like the way they broke that down was like perfectly said. And, uh, you know, and I think that's like, we talked about at the beginning of the episode, like Netflix's, you know, all in approach to like trying to tap into that, um, whether it's an adaptation or like a new property or, you know, things that are just taking influence from something. But I think with me, the way I've, I've been responding and affected by uh, this, this show it's absolutely that breakdown, you know, like you talk about the references of every movie that people are talking about when they talk about this series, you know, it's, it you're piecing those feelings that you had together when you watched them. And even if you don't know those things, like a lot of people don't are, you know, you could still, I, I feel like you could still watch this without knowing those things and still see it as an enjoyable standalone thing, whether you say it's a TV series or a movie or whatever it is. It's it's one of the better things I've seen, you know, on Netflix or really anywhere this year. Relevant to whether this is a show or a movie, is this a TV shmeevy episode or is this a Netflix special report? What do we call this when we when we binge a show? I would like to actually do this again where we just binge a season of one of these Netflix shows. I, I view it as a TV series. I mean, like it plays like a movie, but I think I think. I think they present it as a TV series. It's categorized as such. How are we going to justify that the name of the show is Movie Schmovie and we talk about TV half the time? Well, guess what, folks? It's our show. We can talk about TV if we want to. Yeah, yeah. We do what we want. <laughs> All right, well, um, do you guys have anything else to add before we dip out of here? No. Poor Barb. Poor Barb. Poor, Barb. <laughs> poor, poor Barb. Um, all right, cool. Well, this has been another episode of Movie Schmovie, but TV Schmovie. Um if you don't already know, we're on iTunes, we're on Google Play, and um, Stitcher, uh, basically any other type of iTunes-related type podcast audio format you can think of, we're probably there. Um, so please subscribe, please rate us, like us, share us, um, and even if you don't want to do that, just tell your friends about us, maybe they'll check us out and do any of those things I just mentioned, because it would be appreciated. And uh, we will talk to you guys soon. And uh, as always, you've made our day. Take care. Bye.